And that was the moment where I was like, this could be a total disaster. And the teachers looked a little panicked, I'm not going to lie. But there was something in that. I was giving them an opportunity to do something other adults don't usually let them do. That was fun for them. And then from then on in, I just had them. Welcome to the podcast that helps speakers and writers like you grow their impact and income. This is Stage, Page, and Screen. I went to Idaho. I went fly fishing. No, you did not. I loved it. Have you ever been fly fishing? Uh, Yes. I did not do well, but I really enjoyed it. Did you catch anything? Mm -mm, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. So so when you you? say, I did not do well, you you mean the literal (laughs) definition of it. Absolutely. How'd you do, though? Did you catch something? Yes. I mean, I don't know if you can keep the fish, but if you could, these you would not keep. Okay. They're too big. It's almost like they were too big. That's that's exactly what I meant. Yes. That yeah. is yeah, I felt bad, you know, taking from this, taking from the rivers, taking from the streams. A three hundred year old sturgeon. You're just not yep. gonna let that guy go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's good. He's good. Oh man. That's that sounds awesome. And I hear it's gorgeous. I've not been it was, to Idaho, but it's, it's beautiful. I love it. It's where Oregon Oregonians are moving now. Mm. Californians yeah. too. Yep. Not that I live in California. Nope. <laughs> not there. Uh, I'm trying to uh, throw off the big guy who's been tracking you for a while. So. Okay. Oh, he's large, is he? Well. Now I'm even more scared. I mean, just his biceps and okay. triceps and things. And I see. I see. So when you said things. the rock, you meant, you meant right. that rock. You're right, yeah. right. He, he yeah. can be like that. Mm-hmm. You would oh, know. Dude, did, you ever, did you ever do a, like a pull-up on his bicep or anything like that? <laughs> I do a have a Dwayne question. Johnson story. Have I told you this? No. Could you, could you tell it right now? Sure. Okay. You know, I did a show with him back in the day, right? Oh, I do. Yeah, 10 years ago or however. So so he would have a different sort of guest sidekick for each episode. Oh, okay. And there was an episode where he was working with a troubled youth, and so I was the guest for that episode. Oh, okay. But they were filming another episode uh, simultaneously with someone who was uh, trying to get in shape. Okay. So the guest for that episode was this woman, Jillian Michaels. I know that from name, yeah. Show the biggest illusion. So she's super buff, super yeah, fit. Okay, okay, okay. Herself. So that morning, they invited me to a workout. No kidding. And have you ever done the, where you grab a dumbbell, you keep your arm straight out in front of you, and it's like a shoulder exercise? You, yes. You, know, you keep your arm right. straight, but you're lifting it up. Works your front delts. Yes, front delts. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, that, like, 10 pounds is heavy. Oh my gosh, yes. With Absolutely. that exercise, fifteen seems undoable. Yes. So I think I was trying to show off. I think I, I think I grabbed fifteens. Jillian Michaels has twenty fives. Wow. No problem. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson is lifting Jillian Michaels fifties. Yes. Yes. Wow. And us. You, you're in one hand and Jillian in the other. Yes. Oh my gosh, dude. He also has a guy that just follows him around with a cooler with makeshift. <laughs> All this is true with makeshift replaceable organs. And he's got a backup heart, and liver, <laughs> yes. and yes, the blood of a young of a young rock. <laughs> uh, with makeshift travel rollers, like a like a travel bag, hmm. just stuffed with chicken breast. Oh my goodness! Cooked, yes, seasoned chicken breast, protein shakes, and like every ninety minutes. This guy just really? scuttles over to wherever he is and just starts shoving food into the man. 
Because to stay, I mean, as you and I both know, yeah. to stay the size we are, right? the three of us, yes. <laughs> uh, you got to put down a lot of calories. You do. Yeah, at least 2,000 a day. Yep. Hey, we got a guest. Oh, well, all right. Let me you tell you about the, introduce? Tell, tell Yeah, th- th- this is how, this is how I've decided we're doing the formatting. Right, where, right. It's a great I, idea. Where it's like I'm just talking to you, Jesse, as if you don't know right. who the hell the guest is. Well, it's it's like smartless. I'm like in the dark, and you just go, mm-hmm. and and then I get all excited. See, but you do know, right? Oh, I mean, well, you make the Google Calendar. Let's not <laughs> let's not lie to the public. Okay. They deserve the all truth. Right. <laughs> is there not enough disinformation in our society already? Nevertheless, I will be acting. Oh sure. Okay. No, no, that everyone uh, clamors for urines. Yeah. I believe urines. urines. That is the word. Long. Today we yeah. have Tess, Tess. Levitt. Mm-hmm. She spent the last fifteen years creating empowering TV and stage content for children. So this is going to be a great episode for speakers, authors focused on or curious by sort of that grade, you know, PK to five. Area. So she's half of the music duo Splash and Boots, and they've had eight Juno Award nominations and won two of them. A Juno That's is it's like Canadian. the Canadian Grammy. Yeah. So I, I don't know what That's that. Legit. Yeah. If it's like a dollar here, I think it's eighty nine cents there. I'm not sure. Is right. that? Am I getting the currency? Oh, I think you're, it's a dollar eighty liters or something like that. Oh. So the, the Juno is not a currency. No. But it was, it, it's a great movie. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. And, and her newest project, uh, that this is how her and I know each other, we, we represent her, oh. is A Big Heart Journey. It's a mindfulness program that helps foster and support resilience in, in children. So good. So that's I'm who excited. she is. As if you don't know, Jesse. No, I'm, just, I'm ready. Just this come is, clean. She sounds incredible. Let's find out. No, she's awesome. Okay. Okay. Awesome. What are we going to say? There I know she is. There yes. she is. Hi, you guys. Sorry, there made she you, is. How made you wait you? so long, but we, it took That's a long time okay. for us to introduce you. Yeah. Oh, we, you already did that part. We do yeah. that. Without we, me here. Okay. Yeah, we, we didn't want you to hear that. The, the goal here, um, Jesse wants to do as little work as possible for the salary he received. So we, we try to do salary? all the you'd editing. Call it? You'd call oh, it wait. Salary. Oh, I'm sorry. I think okay. I just got myself in trouble. Right, right. Um, where are you, Tess? Where in the world are you? I'm at the cottage in um, the Ontario. Cottage. Ontario, Ontario, Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. I, I had a life change about a year ago. <clears throat> I just got tired of the city. So, um, and we got high speed internet here now, which is remarkable. So I can do <laughs> I this. Before it was like we'd go in and out of the city all the time. Now, I'm very which is the pleased. rubric? Which which was, yeah, was the leading? Say. Which was the leading factor to spending more time <laughs> yeah. at the cottage? The, high the speed. internet for Peter. Okay, sure. <laughs> all right, I, yeah. I appreciate being honest about it. That's great, that. though. Yeah, yeah. Is no, the cottage a place where you clear your head, think creatively, that sort of thing? Yeah. And, and we have a full studio set up now. Like I have a oh, green cool. screen that goes back here, hmm. and I have a recording studio in the house. So I could basically just live here all the time, except Amazing. for when I'm doing talks. Amazing. So here's here's where I want to start with you, Tess. Uh, I want to talk first about the difference between entertaining an audience of kids hmm. and speaking to an audience of kids. You know, with you know, with, with sort of what you've done with, for a long time with Splash and Boots, you know, that's, it's, it's sort of a, a role, a show, it's 
partly you, but it's also sort of this thing. Whereas as a speaker, that is a hundred percent you, a hundred percent Tess, you, you know, very vulnerably sort of sharing your perspective, your advice. How has that shift from, you know, entertainment to speaking? How have you thought about that? And what have you learned from that? Okay. That is a great question. Um, and it's actually one that I had to really look deeply at over the past six months when I sort of made that initial transition. Um, and I think that in my first talk that I ever did, so going from doing the Splash and Boots thing and being, I, I guess, to just sort of explain the Splash and Boots thing a bit, it's a bit more like we're a show. We're performing for the kids. And although it is still quite interactive and it gets a little emotional now and again, I'm still there's something I'm hiding behind, I guess, in a way, like I'm a character. I'm still me, but it's more character. And the first talk that I did, I I was still being that character and it didn't work because I wasn't, I wasn't vulnerable. I was still putting on something, I guess. Um, and then when I did my next one, I realized that what I needed to do was a little bit less of what I was doing, which was, um, I think I want to say trying. I was trying too hard. Mm -hmm. And I had to just go up there and be me. And the second I did that, I stopped having to fight for their attention. Hmm. Because the more me I became, the more they listened. And the first one, I felt like, I was like big and um, too much, and they mm -hmm. were meeting that energy with me. They were also big and too much, and I mean, and I've always said this about kids: they know, they know real, and they know not real, and they are the most honest audience you'll ever get. Mm. And um, I think that that transition was really just—it was almost like taking a layer off of myself. And it was honestly, it was, it was scary in a way because I felt, I felt a little bit more, um, yeah, more myself and more mm -hmm. real. And that was the honest difference between the show and then the talk that, that that's when it started to work. And I'm still sort of, I'm still working within that. And I think there's further to push that. Um, but that would be the difference that I saw. And because you're being more real, that also means you're more vulnerable, more exposed, you know, mm -hmm. in that in that regard. The as you described it, kind of, the kind of being too big, almost almost too much, too performative. How how long into the talk, you know, because the speakers, it's like we can be saying a thing to an audience, but we're also, you know, either thinking about something we're going to do later or like analyzing how is this going? Mm -hmm. You know, is my tone right? Is my, is my sort of emotional posture appropriate towards the audience? At, at what point in the talk were you like, who is this girl? What am I doing? Like, I, I need to tone it down a little bit. Talk about that. It was about 20 minutes in. And I did this thing where I thought, I need a big opening. I'm going to have a funny slides and I'm going to, get them to yell at me and I'm going to say something, they're going to say it back and then I'll switch the slide and they'll laugh and it'll be like I had this whole grandiose big opening that I did, my first talk. And I realized that it didn't work at all. Like they laughed, but it was they were they got out of control 
so quickly. And mm. um, when I started actually talking about my life and about me when I was their age, that's when they came back. And that's when I was sharing from my heart as opposed to trying to get them engaged or trying to get them to laugh or um, like me. I want to use mm-hmm. that, which mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to barf when I say that. But I mean, <laughs> essentially, that's what we're all we're all sort of fighting against, right? It's yes. like, I want mm. I want those kids to like me. I want them to think I'm cool. And the second yes. I was like, you know what? Sc- screw it. I don't care if you like me. I'm just going to be me, which is essentially what I want for everybody anyway. So it's kind of funny that I was up there kind of putting yes. on this whole song and dance. Yes, yes. Be, you know? be yourself, but but yeah. I'm not going to be for the next <laughs> half, half hour, if you'll bear yeah. with me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I, when I look back over the first 10 years of my career, speaking to teenagers, I mean, you know, I had good intent, undoubtedly impact was made, but so much of that 10 years was just me working through my immaturity of being terrified, feeling unworthy of being up there. And as you said, wanting them to like me, you know, Mm -hmm. my first thought was, <clears throat> how can I get them to laugh? How can I entertain them? How, you know, because with the laughter, it's like you can hear it. And so it's a constant verbal cue of like, hey, they're with you. This is going well. Instead mm-hmm. of those vulnerable moments, there's quiet. And quiet can be interpreted, you know, one of eight <laughs> different ways. So, you know, you say that that, you know, K through five audience is a really honest sort of reflection of your true intentions. I, I mean, I felt that exact same way with teenagers. Mm, I bet. And yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to see you being aware of that much sooner uh, th- than I was. Yeah, well, I really felt like I was being eaten alive that first one, so <laughs> I had to make a quick change. <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't it's like this. uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So t- let's. All right. So let's debate this a little bit. It, well. All right. I have a couple questions. The first one mm-hmm. is, you know, opening with kind of this big moment as you were talking about the slide, this joke, this moment. Was that kind of carryover baggage from Splash and Boots that this needs to be entertaining, or was that looking at other effective K through five speakers, and that was the model they were using. And so you thought, well, that's, that must be what works. So that's what I need to do. It was more that, yeah, I studied, I studied other speakers and what they did. And I went to the K to five audience because that's what I was doing. Um, And I mean, Splash and Boots is it, we do have a big opening. It's a big dance song. So it's not, not that. So it's probably a little bit of column A, column B, but um, I would say the slide thing was a totally new thing for me. So I went insane on the slides. Like I <laughs> built slides until three in the morning for weeks on end. I can't judge end. you for that. You know, I can't <laughs> judge you for that. I know, I know. I, and it. I love that. <laughs> but I think I had maybe like, I want to say 180 slides. Okay. Like, and that's, okay. and, and <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, Everything got clear. Slide. How, how old are these people? Are you going to show 180 slides to? Six. Uh-huh. 24, 24 frames a second. That's a that's a short film, I believe. Uh-huh. It, it was like a film, and they moved. There's. It was like an animated movie was happening behind me. So, so you're also like, triggering epilepsy in the audience. Yeah, is what I mean. exactly. Perfect. That explain that explains the feedback we got on that first event. She Probably. seems lovely. However, half of the children ended up in the emergency room. 
<laughs> actually, though. Um, yeah, I don't even remember what the question was. But I took out most of those slides. I think I'm down to about 20. <laughs> really, I cut them all, which is quite satisfying. And And so do you think, you know, leading with... Okay, so when you talk about... You know, when you would make them laugh, it was kind of mm-hmm. difficult to get them back. Now, as someone who's never spoken to that age group, mm-hmm. my outside perspective is I go, that's just one of the unique challenges with that age group is, uh, you know, I, I would kind of contrast it like this. Teenagers, hard to make laugh, easy to bring them back. Like you can mm-hmm. swap back and forth between a funny and serious moment, but but hard to make them laugh because their whole posture is like this. Right. Whereas <laughs> kind of your age group, that like K to five, I would argue sort of easier to make laugh, but indeed, you know, they're going to turn to a buddy, you know, there's, there's just less sort of maybe built in self-control there. So they are going to get themselves a bit zany for a bit. D- do you think that assessment of of the differentiation of those two audiences is, is fair or this was something unique in the way you were trying to be funny that just sort of riled them up to the point it wasn't helpful? No, I think that's a fair assessment. I think you're totally right. Yeah. And um, what I did to counteract that is I realized that, well, the other, there's another thing happening right now too, is that these kids who are in kindergarten and grade one have actually never really been to an assembly before hmm. because of COVID. And so now, but now not only that, now the kids who are in grade two and three and four have also not really been to many assemblies. So before it used to be that those, the older kids were modeling the behavior hmm. for the younger kids. And now it sort of feels like, it's just nobody really knows how to act in an assembly because they've never done it. And I realized, though, that that's not their fault and that it's my, it's my, um, it's my, it's part of my duty to teach those kids how to be an audience. And, um, that was a little flip I did in my mind from the first one to the second one. So instead of thinking like, oh my God, these kids are out of control. They're, they don't know what they're, they just talk constantly. They don't understand to be quiet. I'm like, well, nobody taught them how to do that. And, and that's not their fault. And so I have this opportunity now to, to step into that role of helping them be a good audience. And so um, to help them through like when something's funny and then when something's serious and how to listen, I, um, I started with making a contract with them, hmm. which I'm sure a lot of pe- other people do. Um, it's not like rocket science, but I... No, go, go I, further on this. What do you mean? I, like you, you send everyone a DocuSign? What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, like, no, no, sign kids, on the um, dotted line. <laughs> now listen, six-year-olds, after you uh, review my 120 slides, I'd, I'd like you to log into your... 187. Uh, I'd like you to log into your Microsoft Exchange account and find the DocuSign I sent you. I need everyone to sign. Yes, and execute uh, that agreement, please. Yes, exactly. Um, well, it's okay, what, a, yeah, verbal, a verbal, what, what verbal contract. Okay. I said, before. I, first of all, I start off just with a story, just me out there making it really clear that I like them. That's. I think that was my first, my thought, my first beat has to be just like, I'm not here to show you anything. I'm just here because I really like you. Like, I think you're awesome. And really speaking into their um, brilliance, because that's why I do this. I think kids are brilliant. And 
if they know that I think that about them, they're going to start to live into that. So that was the first thing I made sure that I did. And then um, I said, listen, like we don't have a lot of time here together, but I want to make sure that the time that we have really counts. So when somebody else is speaking, I want to make like everybody else needs to be quiet because how does it feel when you're speaking and other people are talking? And so I, I had them connect with the feeling of being talked to or having someone talk and someone else talk at the same time. It doesn't feel good in our hearts. So really having them, and I said, and I don't want anybody to leave here not feeling heard or like somebody wasn't listening to them because that doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel good to you. And then we did a little practice round um, and I had them do a symbol. So the, the be quiet symbol. And then I went a little farther and I was, I thought this was maybe going to be a too much move. I thought this could really backfire on me, but I had them be, I said, in order for us to see how quiet you can get. And I said, I travel around and I, I like to see which school can get the quietest, the fastest. And so, and I said, I, you know, I think you can probably beat my last school. And at this point, like, if we're honest, my last school was the first one I'd ever done. So <laughs> it wasn't going to be too hard to beat that one because they and talked was the on, entire and time. Was on Zoom. I mean, I, I didn't really hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I had them be as loud as they could. So, and that was the moment where I was like, this could be a total disaster. And the teachers looked a little panicked. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, and I was like, I got this. And, but there was something in that, in that I was giving them an opportunity to do something other adults don't usually let them do. Mm-hmm. So that was fun for them. And then they were so quiet when I did, I'd made a little heart symbol above my head and they all did it and they all did it really fast. And we did it again to see if they could do it faster. And then from then on in, I just had them because they wanted to succeed. They wanted to do that. And because now they liked me because I let them be loud and that's fun for them. I view, I view the brilliance of what you did as from the speaker perspective, as you're almost sort of giving them this, brief window where they can empty the reservoir of mm-hmm. pent up energy they have like hey yeah. here yeah. is the appropriate time like go buck wild you know be as loud as you want and then we're going to calm it down and we're going to listen to each other yes exactly yeah so let's let me dig in a little bit more to sort of your psyche with now now here I'm assuming so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong mm-hmm. But my my sense would be with something like Splash and Boots, there's like from the moment you, because these are typically ticketed events, you know, the kids in the audience are almost, for lack of a better word, sort of pre-indoctrinated. They they know Splash and Boots, they like it, they've, th- mm-hmm. that is some touch point for them. Whereas as a speaker, it's, it's literally the exact opposite, mm-hmm. right? So <laughs> Splash and Boots, it's like second one, they're excited to see you. They get it. They kind of get what it's about. They're enthusiastic. You yeah. know, like any of us would be if we went to see any sort of musical act or comedian that that we that we had history with. Mm-hmm. Whereas as a speaker, it's the exact opposite. It's like, who is this person? Why do I want to? And then the goal is over time, they're like, you know, by the time the speech is done, then they're like, that was amazing. I appreciated the message, that sort of thing. But But that contrast... Was that a challenging thing for your confidence? Because you've, you know, for, for a decade, you've been used to like, hey, minute one, like they're just, they're into it. And now I almost have to find a way to kind of earn their trust and win them over. 
one million percent. And I think that I had to do a bit of an ego check, if I'm honest, because I was, I am used to walking out and having people cheer and be real excited that I'm there because they've seen me on television and they're just pumped up, you know? And these are kids who haven't slept and they're just like, they're on the edge of their (laughs) seats to see us, you know? Yes. (laughs) And then I walk out for my first, like for the first talk and I was like, oh, I don't have that. They don't care at all. They don't care. They don't know me. They don't, they don't trust me. They don't like nothing. Um, and I definitely had to work through that and, um, and, and again, try a different approach and try again, again, it's back to like just being me and having and building up the confidence that I'm good enough just as me without having all that big hype beforehand and that was definitely something that I had to do some internal work before before I kept doing it. Because at first, it really, I, I had a voice, I had that voice in my head that was like, they don't like you, you're not good enough, what are you doing here, who do you think you are to be able to stand up here and teach them anything? And like, what do you, like, there was just, it was a, it was a negative loop in my head. Um, mm-hmm. I think because the contrast was so big. Um, but it was really good. I loved working through that because I, I well, I guess just because I love working through things like that. Really, I'm a, I'm a bit of a self help junkie. I'm like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> I have some contrast happening. Well, that, I think that's something I so respect about you. Thinking about the contours of your career is the growth mindset that you've approached this with, because. I think it would be very hard for many people, myself including, included, if I'm brutally honest, to have such kind of success and track record and predictability with, with something to then go from the front of the line to the back of the line, mm-hmm. where now, you know, indeed, all that time in, in Splash, you, you know, some of that stuff carries over, but also in many ways... You're going from the front of the line to the back of the line. Mm-hmm. You know, were did you did you recognize that? And you were like game for the challenge. Did you recognize half of it? And you're like, oh gosh, this other half I didn't expect. <laughs> talk talk us through that yeah. because I imagine for many other speakers and writers, it can be you know when anyone starts anything like this, the goal is like, oh my gosh, could I be successful? Mm-hmm. And then you are, and then at some point you go, great, but there's another chapter, but that another that next chapter requires a blank page, and you and you probably haven't seen a blank page for a while. Yes, and I knew that the page was blank, and I panicked. I had total panic about Christmas last year um, when I thought, I just thought like I don't know how to start this again. I don't know who I am in this role. Um, and I had, and I, but I was game for it. I was very much into figuring it out. Um, and I, I did that in a variety of different ways, but there were some moments when I thought, is this what I want to do? Particularly one moment when (laughs) I went to an event and, um, and it was a public, so they had us do schools one day, and the next day was the public event. Um, and they said, you know, we're expecting about 800 people through the door. 
And you think, okay, well, that's like a pretty big event. Um, and anyhow, about three minutes before the talk was meant, and I'd really rehearsed, you know, like I was like ready. My slides had been cut down in half and I was, I was just ready to roll. And it was, it was a different, I made a different thing because it was going to be parents and kids together. So I wasn't doing the kids talk. I wasn't doing the parent talk. I'd, I'd sort of created a hybrid. Um, and anyhow, three minutes before the event, nobody was there. Oh, and wow. And I was, I thought like, this is how it used to be in Splash and Boots. When we first started, we were doing events for nobody, for two people, for three people. And I thought, oh my God, I'm doing it again. Like I've started, like I literally felt I was at the bottom of the ladder, but I didn't have a co-partner to help me through this moment. Because when I had Nick, when we're doing Splash and Boots, there's always somebody else and he's got a guitar. So if you have a guitar and two people, you can literally just sing whatever and people, like it doesn't matter if anybody's there. It was just me and a clicker, a slide deck and like nothing else and not one kid. And so in the, in the oh, organizers man. going, oh, he's man. like, oh, I should have shut down the bouncy castles. And I was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and there's like horses. There's like, oh, like, you, you're done. You're done. You just, can't compete was, with bouncy houses and horses. No. And none I mean, that's what, none of, nobody can really. No way. So anyhow, three people came, three children came. And I think we got up to about five in the middle and I did what I know what to do best, which is sing. I literally started singing songs about them being brave and had them sharing in the microphone, but I had to make it all up because there's no parents. Oh, and my slide deck stopped working. Not that it was going to be helpful at all because it, nothing, I wasn't doing anything from the slide deck, but I had to do, I just had to make something up and they, they ended up loving it somehow, but I, I drew on my past Splash and Boots experience, but I really thought in that moment, like, is this what I want to do? But I do. I really do. <laughs> but there was a moment there. <laughs> and, and your willingness to go back down to the bottom of the ladder, is that, mm -hmm. is that a wiring that you just have that isn't transferable? Is it, as you said, you being a self-help junkie? Is that, is that something? Because like, I'm not good at that. I get I I love to iterate and fine tune, but then I get, you know, I can get stuck. That something like mm -hmm. that terrifies me. Uh, so for those in that situation, is that is that a transferable skill, or did you just get lucky? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think I was born being I'm pretty determined, um, and I also have this. I have th something inside of me that's saying like, this is what you need to be doing. And you need to do everything you can to make this happen. And I think that that's the difference between um, people who, I mean, there's so many different ways to be creative and to share what's inside of you. And there's no judgment if you want to do it just for, you know, your family or the people in your lives, or if you want to do that on a bigger scale or whatever in between thing that is. But I think if you want to do it on a bigger scale, you need to know without a doubt that this is what you want to do because it's going to be hard and you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do and sing about being brave for two children and and care enough about those two kids in the audience that that um that you can get through that without making it about you. So I think mm -hmm. that's what I was able to do and that's maybe the transferable skill is that if you know you want to do this then those two kids or those five kids or that one kid in the audience, 
might need you. And if you're doing it for the right reasons, then you're going to do it for that kid. And you're going to do whatever you can so that that kid walks away feeling a little differently than they did. And it was interesting because I I had to do this all in my head. And I thought, okay, there's somebody here who needs this. And a little girl um, in that show with five children, Max, and one ball that was like bouncing around the room, which was not helpful either. Um, Anyhow, (laughs) there was a little girl who was about nine in the audience and... I said I was going around in the audience, like the audience was standing up in a line beside me. Um, And so I said, who wants to share a story about being brave? And she didn't want to do it. I asked the other kids and they said, you know, they went to the dentist or whatever. She put up her hand um, and she said, I was brave when my grandpa died. Hmm. And then she started crying. Um, And it turned into a whole conversation about, about what to do in those moments when you lose somebody that you love. And that little girl was able to talk about it in front of those other kids. And her mom was there and she talked to her mom and she gave her mom a hug. And it was just, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And I think that if I care enough about that moment, I can get over myself that I'm at the bottom of the ladder. Like that doesn't matter. Because that kid was able to get that feeling out. Mm. Only because I was got over myself and sang with no backup music either, by the way. It <laughs> wasn't good. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I think that's I love this, the skill. Yeah, yeah. I love that encouragement you're sharing, particularly to folks who are sort of towards the end of starting something as mm-hmm. a speaker or a writer. Is It can be real tempting. You know, when you get into this, you you stumble upon people and they sort of inspire you to do it. The problem with those people, no fault of those people, is that they've been doing it 10, 15 years by the time you stumble upon them, and and then they're sort of a North Star and an inspiration for you. But by the time you, you know, read about them or watch a video or click on an Instagram post, they have 800 people in their audience. And so you, so you, the the thought is, oh, well, that's what I'm signing up for. Mm-hmm. what you're signing up for is like years of five people in your audience. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to do the five, it's, it's probably not the thing you should do. 100%. And doing the five gets you so good at doing the 800. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you can't jump to 800 without that experience of the five. Yes. And grateful. And yeah, yes. totally and grateful. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I, I, I so wanted some bigger opportunities back in the day, and I was so devastated, again, largely because of my immaturity when I didn't get them. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I, I, you know, I recognize I wasn't ready. I would have blown mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I, I would not have been able to serve the way I could you know, a decade later, later mm-hmm. if I had got that as soon as I wish I would have got that. Yeah. And it all, I really, I mean, I believe that everything comes to you when you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. So when you're ready for 800 people, it'll come. But it's yep. not up to us to decide when we're ready. Like you got to put your put your five people dues in. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So you're all right. So so we're we're spinning up the flywheel of your speaking stuff, both to you know early childhood educators, grade K through five, and a few weeks ago we filmed videos. Okay, we filmed mm-hmm. like the first iteration of these videos. Yes, uh, we did. You know. For, for any speaker that's listening, you know, this is like a key kind of marketing asset for them. Mm-hmm. It's so tricky to, 
to get it right? You know, when is the right time to film? So, so looking back over filming those couple videos, what did you learn? What would you advise to other people? What do you wish you could go back and do differently? Good question. While I didn't sleep for a couple of weeks before we filmed, if I'm honest, <laughs> I was a full on, <laughs> like I, I was a wild person. And to make it, to make it just a little more challenging, I was on tour with Splash and Boots for two weeks across Canada, leading wow. up to the filming of the videos. I landed the night before and went straight to the venues, did a sound check, and woke up at six a.m. and did those two videos before ten after a two week tour. And I, for that two week tour, I was doing a show and I was going back to my hotel room and I was like a wild scientist. I had post-it notes and things all over my hotel room. I was talking to myself. I said, oh, I actually went into the last <laughs> hotel and I was like, can I get a room close to nobody that I know? Like, I, I, I just heard they're making know. a, I heard they're making a murder mystery <laughs> podcast about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like people must have just thought I was insane if they were walking by. Cause I was repeating, I was talking constantly to myself in my hotel rooms leading up to that. And I think that in hindsight, um, if for people listening, you can't be too prepared for that. Like I really, I really did a lot of work to be really, really organized. Um, and a lot of the things that I did didn't happen. I mean, I got out there and I think what I did that really worked is I memorized it in terms of, um, I have this little game that I play to memorize things, which might be helpful to people. I I visualize, so I, I have the whole talk mapped out on cue cards. So I have the different topics. The, this goes to this, goes to this. And each one has a different cue card. And, and on and, those cue cards, is it is it like a sentence, a paragraph, or just a couple words to prompt you, almost like a set list? Well, I start, so the first time I do it, I make cue cards with a lot of writing. There's a, There's too much. And then my second iteration, I've taken out half the writing. I just have keywords. And then my third iteration, I just had um, one main heading and then the things that I always forget um, to sort of... And when I practice it, I say it as fast as I can with no emotion. Um, that's my sort of... Because uh, I don't practice things with emotion because when I get out there, the emotion will come if I've learned the words, hmm. um, but not like a robot. Uh, so I have the cue cards and then I, um, I, I picture, this is kind of strange, but I picture I'm walking into a house. Okay. <laughs> and my first section of the speech is in the lobby of the house. So it's my home. So it's in my home. And I think of one thing in my home, in my front foyer that will remind me of the first section of my talk. Okay. So if my first section of my talk is about, um, is it's actually about my sort of my career and what I've done. So I imagine looking on the, the wall of my house and there's pictures of my Splash and Boots career up there. Okay, so now I have an image in my head to connect to that. I walk into my living room. I make another image in my living room. So I talk about meet and greets with kids. So I imagine all these kids are suddenly running into my living room to hug me. Okay, that's my second image. My third image, I'm in my kitchen. And I walk through my whole house doing the talk. 
Does this make any sense to anyone but me? hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, so what I'm doing is I was, I'm just... I was thrown off by lobby. I was thrown off by lobby. Oh, yeah, the word lobby, lobby was wrong. I mean, I, I'm thinking, my goodness, what size is this cabin in the woods that it has a dadgum lobby? I know. I said the word lobby, and I was like, no, that's I just, not the I right assumed word. it was some Canadian thing. I didn't, I didn't want to start a war. I did not want to start a war. In Canada, we only have lobbies in our houses. So then what I can do is I can go for a walk. Like I memorize things while I walk also. And I um, I just run through the pictures. Hmm. So once I get sort of really memorized, I can just go, okay, I'm in the foyer, I talk about this. And then, and then I'm just putting that into my subconscious brain. So somewhere in there, I don't know if that's right, but in my head, that's what's happening. Um, those pictures are there. And so when I, if I just fall off the rails, which I did, I can come back to the pictures in my brain. Hi friends, it's Jesse Rice, co-host and producer of the podcast. Normally you'd hear from Josh at this point, offering you the opportunity to learn more about how to launch or grow your speaking business or write and publish your book. But since I also edit the podcast, I just cut his part right out. (laughs) That gives me the opportunity to do the pitching. But from the perspective of someone who is a former student of the program, and someone that has benefited tremendously from the wisdom and experience and the countless practical insights that make the stage, page, and screen training program so powerful. Look, Josh isn't paying me to say this. I do it for the community service hours. My point is, and all kidding aside, as one that has truly benefited in massive, life-changing, dream-come-true kind of ways from this content, I can't recommend stage, page, and screen highly enough. And I really mean that. To go and learn more for yourself about making your speaking and writing dreams come true at stagepagescreen.com. That's stagepagescreen.com. Now, back to the show. I want to dig into the video a little bit more. Um, I've seen sort of two types of approach. Of course, everything I think is binary. So I've seen two sorts of approaches and only two (laughs) sorts of approaches. Uh, Approach number one, I would say more common is that folks aren't mm, diligent enough about doing some of that painful alone in work, in-house work on the talk before they film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, like I appreciate the brazenness in that of like let's let's just get the first one done because I'm not going to love it five years from now anyway. Yeah, I, I shouldn't. I should get better. But almost like man, if if you would have done fifty reps in your house alone, then that video that turned out being a five could have been a six. Yeah, out of ten. Yeah. You know, to me, it's like no one's first demo video is. I'm not sure I've ever seen a first demo video that's like above a six. It's right. just, you know, you're, you're figuring out. And then the, the, the second type would be like the category I would fall into, which is like over-preparing, overthinking it. Uh, you probably could have got it done a year ago if, you know, a, mm-hmm. a bit less perfectionism and, and these sorts of things. But I, I think you have to get that, that first one done you know, it's it's like a six, mm-hmm. and now you can book a certain level of gigs with yeah. your demo video that's a six, not the gigs you really want, 
but the gigs that are appropriate for where you're at. Mm-hmm. You do that for like a year and now you go, okay, cool. Now I can upgrade it. This talk is now at like a seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Then you can film that video and then that video is representative of your seven and a half. You start getting those and then eventually you get, you get the one and the nines. Yeah. It, is, is that sort of how you think about this and approach this? I mean, how much different do you think the talk will be in a couple of years? Oh, I think it will be a million times better in a couple of years. I, I can watch the video that we made. I can watch it without thinking, like, that's bad. I think it's pretty good, considering it was literally my first talk that I ever did for adults. Agreed. Agreed. That was, um, I did one talk before, so it was actually my second. But after the first talk, it was so bad that I rewrote everything. So it was the first talk of that content. Um, And so I think considering all of the variables, I'm quite pleased with how it turned out. And... I definitely, I'm a perfectionist. And so for me to say that is pretty good because I want everything to be a 10 right away. And I can definitely say about myself that I'm when things aren't a 10, I don't even want to release it. Hmm. I want to get better. I want to be, I want, I want to have the room painted without priming the walls, you know? I want, I want it to be great right now, like or yesterday would be even better. And so I think that, that that sort of mindset can be both good and bad. Um, and I think that in hindsight, I had to get over myself a bit with this video because mm. I wasn't going to be as prepared as I wanted to be despite the fact I didn't sleep for two weeks. I was not going to be as prepared because I just haven't done enough talks. Like I'm, I'm, if once I do this 20 more times, I could go out and do a video that's, you know, way better. But I'm okay with the video now because I think it's I'm like I'm actually quite proud of it. I yes. think I think wow, I I did that. And I'm and part of that is because I'm working on my own self-confidence in terms of uh just just being okay with where I am and not trying to push mm-hmm. it. Um so I think that that's that's probably a good way to look at it for people who are just doing their first video. It's like, how good can you be right now? Yeah. Considering that you haven't had all the experience. But if you talk to yourself enough in a hotel room or your lobby or wherever you're going to talk to yourself. Um, in, in your vast like, lobby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, then you can get to a good enough level for right now. And the other honest part about it is that people who are watching these videos are not as, not as picky as we are on ourselves. Mm. Like they want good content. They're not like, oh, she was looking at her notes a few too many times there. She said, <laughs> right. she said, but too many times. Like <laughs> they're not going to notice that stuff. They want you yes. for you. And yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, I've I've never seen anybody who's able to just write a great speech out of the gate. It's it's iterated. You know, mm-hmm. a a decent or solid speech indeed can be written. And there's a certain sort of bar you do need to hold for yourself there and push yourself Mm -hmm. and, you know, go a little bit further than feels comfortable. But at some point you just have to iterate like the, the the iteration, not the writing is the path to greatness. Mm, I like that. I just put it on a (laughs) t-shirt. I'll I'll have one, Jesse. I'll send you a copy. Make me a copy. Thanks. 
All right, so watch, watch this transition here. Watch how smooth this is. I'm okay, ready. ready. Speaking, speaking of writing and iterating. Oh, uh, yep. <laughs> I want to talk about when you got uh, the first TV contract mm-hmm. to, to not only be on the show, like super exciting, super intimidating, mm-hmm. but you're also going to write the dang thing. Super yeah. exciting, uh, super intimidating. And so talk about this crash course in script writing what you learned from that and what lessons you're still using today from that experience. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, we were hired. We got a contract with a company in Canada called Treehouse Television. We were hired to do, yeah, to write and be in our own show. Um, And not only that, it was like write 50 episodes and we're filming them in a month and a half. Like no time. Like these are being edited and going on air in two to three months. And I have never written anything except for a song about like bananas. Like I don't, I've never <laughs> written, I don't know how to write Which a changed script. my life, by the way. So thank you. <laughs> good, good. You're the, welcome, the, the man was lacking potassium <laughs> <Yes>. pre-test. <laughs> Put that bananas on your website. every day. <laughs> um, so it was honestly a very, I was so intimidated and didn't think I was worthy of doing this. And and I and I'm working with my business partner at this point, so there's two of us, and I he writes the songs, so I was writing the scripts. Like this is how it worked. So I do the first drafts and then he would come in and that's how he he writes the first drafts of the songs and then I come in. So I was sitting, I was I was uh we got sort of a crash course in the formatting of an episode. Um and how to how to write it in this special program that they write it in. And the deal would be that we would write scripts and then we'd go into this meeting and we'd sit around a table with all these executives who've made, you know, hundreds of television shows. And we'd read them the script out loud oh and then they oh would boy. give us feedback in real time. And I would never how written. Many, a how many script. scripts did you have to show up with for one mm. of these meetings? Like, like all fifty, or the or the first no, seven, or something. Like the first seven to ten. It wasn't okay. all at once. Um, so that was good because I learned a lot <laughs> right away. <laughs> like our first, I think it was our first time going in. And you have to imagine that I feel at this point like I have been pushed off a cliff into the deep end of uh, an ocean and I don't know how to swim. Like nobody's ever taught me how to swim. So I, I'm just make, I'm really just making things up at this point. Mm. I'm sitting in cafes, uh, drinking copious amounts of coffee, trying to type up these scripts with no idea what I'm doing. And then I get to this meeting and we sit, we're sitting at the table and Nick and I have kind of, you know, we've done a lot of work on what, <laughs> and they're all printed out in front of them. And we read the first episode and the woman who'd hired us, she literally picked up the script and she ripped it into pieces oh my. And, and threw it dramatically nice oh down on the table and said, this is awful. And I mean, I can't even make that up. And it's funny now because I know this woman and she's still, she's like, remember that time that I ripped your script up? Like she thinks it's very funny now. And it is funny. It's very funny to me now. But at the moment that it happened, I was like, where is the closest hole I can crawl into and have a good cry? Like I really thought this is not for me. Like I don't have a thick enough skin. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not talented. All the things. Um, So anyhow, she was right. I'm sure it was awful. Uh, and I love, I actually, I do really well being told something's bad because that part of me that's like, no, 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 I'm going to figure this shit out. 
Mm-hmm. It steps up, and mm-hmm. I like I like losing. I do. We. I mean, I, I I don't mind it because it fires me up to lose, and so I was so fired up to learn the ins and outs of script writing for children's television that we we were like, okay, tell us everything then. Like we are going to say right now, we know nothing, so tell us what we need to know. And her ripping it up helped me realize how little I know and how much I have to learn. And again, I had to get over myself. Wasn't I'm not saying this happened like in a minute. I did go home and cry. I did feel awful about myself. I did want to quit. Um, and then I got fired up. And we both got fired up. And we're good, we're good at that together. And so, you know, there's a lot of things for us to learn. And, and that sort of big fail <laughs> was a jumping off point to get better. And we did. We got the scripts in. We filmed it. We did it all on time. And now I feel like someone could ask me to write a script and I I could do it, you know? So, so if back then, you know, on a scale of one to 10, the, the heaviness of a lift mm-hmm. of writing an episode was like an, an eight or a nine or a 10, what would it be today? Um, Probably a three or four. Okay. Like I'm not going to say I'm I'm I haven't this was a couple of years ago. I think it would get easier and easier and I think that it just depends what you're writing. Like for that show, if we were going to make more episodes of that show, I could probably do it like one or two, no problem. Um but there's so many things I haven't done, so I'm not going to say it's mm. probably going to be hard again. It's probably going to be a 7 or an 8 if someone asked me to write another show. Like it's always it always feels hard at first, right? But you just have to get over that. Like it's going to feel hard at doesn't always flow in like the universe is writing through you. Like that's not real life all the time. You have to get through the hard and then it starts flowing and then it gets better. But there's a point Did y'all ever hard. bring in other writers or did you primarily use other people's outside perspectives just to kind of give notes on what they read? Yeah, it was just no other writers. Um, they wanted to they wanted us to write. And that was it. There was no, I don't know whether there was no budget or there was no, it was just like we were the writers. We had other directors, we had other people come in for every other role, but um, so they would just come in with outside perspective. I mean, I'd love, like in hindsight, I'd like to make a show and have other writers. I think it's fun. I'm I'm all about um, creative in group. I think that there's so many things that we can sit there and bang our head against the table, but if you're sitting in a group of people who are all trying to write something, we've got like five or six creative brains on the project mm-hmm. and that's so fun. Like that's what I think that would be more where I would like to go is to be a part of a team because that's like mm-hmm. ooh there's now it's not just me. <laughs> there's so much to pull from here, which is exciting. And eventually the show kind of creates a a brand, a, a lane, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if you all ever created like a, a show bible. For yeah, your did. show, did you all yeah. have something like yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, where it's like you know, it, it would say these words, not these words. You know, the, the show kind of yeah. takes this third person tone, not not this sort of tone. Yeah, and so once you have some of that stuff established, it is much easier to bring in folks and say, okay, here are kind of the constructs, the boundaries within that, whatever. Totally, which is really fun. Then it's like you have a you have a template, which makes everything easier. All right, so yet yet again, you are going now back to the bottom of the ladder with a, mm-hmm. this different <laughs> writing challenge mm-hmm. of a children's book that 
Yes, but, um, you're mainly yeah. writing. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm that lady on. I haven't, I haven't ripped it in half. No, you haven't yet, ripped anything I'm, up yet. I'm waiting coming. for it though. Well, do it, it's it'll coming. fire me up, Josh. It's I'm ready. coming. I'll, I'll do it in a Google <laughs> Doc, but, but I will, I will find a GIF of ripping. I will find. Okay, please a GIF do. I can't wait. Of ripping. So how, you know, do do you think working on and writing the TV show helped in writing this children's book? Do you? Do you think it's it's such a different mm. medium that it doesn't carry over as much? How are you thinking and what are you learning about the process of writing this kid's book? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I think it's totally different. I think the writing style, I think everything about it is different than what I wrote for the television. I think that actually starting with this book was... Yeah, I definitely felt like starting it. I was starting from zero. I had no idea what I was doing. And how it started was actually that I started writing a play. It wasn't a book at all. Um, I I had this image of, I don't know where it came from. I don't really know. I It just came to me one day. And I just started writing. And I wrote about literally 46 pages. of. I have a 46-page long play. Um, and... And then I thought, well, it's maybe plays aren't really, I should make it into a short film. So I, I changed it all to make it more like a short film for kids. Um, and then and then you came along and said, you have a book? And I was like, no, but I have a film. And you were like, cut it down to 800 words. And I was like, but Josh, it's, it's like we're just going to tweet 32, it out. 32,000. The equivalent like it was of tearing so many up words. your book in front of you. It was it. exactly a, the same. That was a tear. Wait a minute. Wait. Yeah. You guys are turning on me. You've been Stop. working out. I know. Stop this it. is why. Stop it. I can rip a phone book in I half. was going to say, phone books. <laughs> That's right. Um, so in that moment, I really thought I was going to cry too because I thought, how do I take this? And it, And you know what? It had to become unattached to the film version because hmm. to make it from a film to a picture book involved cutting out everything that I loved <laughs> and I had to let go of loving all of the, like I, I, it's the story of my granny and me. Like it's a very personal, it's not about me. I never say it, it's about me, but that's, it came from my, from my relationship with my granny and her death. Um, yeah. We talk about death for children. It's very upbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and so making it, changing the format to a kid's book was really involved letting go of, what I thought it was, and also parts parts of my life in a way, because I loved the parts that I cut. I loved them, and I had to I had to get rid of them because Josh said eight hundred words. I was uh, like, how, nope. how did I become the villain in this podcast? <laughs> I, how, I how did you find really, this thing has run away from me? That's Jesse, right. Jesse's not being helpful. No, he, he, no. he could mute no, you at any moment. He's, he's not. Yes, absolutely. No, this is consistent with people that Josh works with. Um, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) how did you find your way to uh love the book or maybe you don't love the book maybe you hate it maybe you hate no it sounds like you love it how did you find your way to to get into it um how did i do that i spent i spent four days with um five people at the cottage who were all writers Hmm. and i said we had it i call it we called it a writer's retreat and everybody was writing their own kind of thing. And I was determined that at the end of that five days, I'd have it down to under a thousand words. Wow. And I did it with, I started, I read, I read a longer version to them. They gave me notes and I just kept cutting. The more notes I got, the easier mm. it became to cut things. Mm. And I, and then one day I just, just 
made a whole new document and I just pressed delete on like everything, literally everything. And I started again. Um, and I, I had to start again. I, I don't think any of that beginning stuff is in the next one. Um, and, but I did it with other people. I did it in community. And I think that that's a great thing to do when you're working on a creative project and you're feeling stuck is call in help. Like literally call in other brains, other people who can give their opinion because sometimes we are so in our own stuff. Like I was so attached that I couldn't, I couldn't get over myself really. <laughs> and I needed other people to come in and say like that part, just get rid of it. It's okay to get rid of it. Um, so yeah, I think community is really good for writing. I'm a big so fan of that. W- when you're working with someone like me, say on this creative project or for mm-hmm. other people that have collaborators, if you're working with someone opinionated, smart, such mm-hmm. as myself. Handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, handsome. Thank you, Jesse. Freakishly <laughs> strong. Thank you. Sure. Uh, that's enough. Uh, you know, they're going to have, they're going to give you, you know, 10 notes. And all of the notes you go, totally makes sense. How, how do you parse which comments to go, that's a great point. That's a blind spot. I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I need to apply this, even if I'm a little uncomfortable with it or messes with what my initial vision was, mm-hmm. versus, hey, great point, but this ain't that book. Th- th- yep. That is not the aim of this book. Like, interesting note, but but this ain't for this. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, my process is that I first read it, I read the notes through, and I notice which ones I think, no, absolutely not to. And then I let it, I walked away and I did it again in a few hours. Um, but I read it with a different, I took off. It's like I have, I had to walk away to come back at it from a different perspective. And when I can do that and read it again, and I actually read it out loud, adding in your notes out loud, reading it. So the first time was in my head and I had a lot of no's. And then the second time when I was reading them out loud, I was like, oh, good point. He makes some good points here. Like I can hear it differently because I walked away. And then the third time I brought someone else in and I had them read it with notes, without notes. And their perspective helped me also get out of my own head. And then I took the ones that felt, the ones that I still felt like, nope, this isn't the tone of the book. Like this isn't coming from my own heart. I kept that. I kept the ones that I just felt like, nope, that's okay. Like, love you, Josh, but that's not going to work. Um, and I, and I, but then I, there were ones that I felt uncomfortable with and I just plopped them in. And then the more I read it, the more I was like, yeah, that's good. I like this. Mm. So mm. I think it was a matter of like, you got to read through it three, four times. I like bringing in another perspective and also just practicing letting go of how you think it might it should be really again I, that's a theme <laughs> now now correct me if i'm if my recollection is wrong here but at this point you've done one of these kind of audio focus groups that kind of pushed you to do is that yeah correct? i have a couple now two, okay, two so, audio groups so talk yeah. me through the beauty and the beast of that experience because I know it's it's so illuminating and also quite crushing to the soul. So yeah. explain explain for folks explain for yeah. folks what uh, kind of you know kind of what it is and then like how it went and how you're processing it. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, like the process is that I've written this book and now Josh is making me do all these experiments with the book. And as I mentioned before, like I want to paint the room without priming it. I'm like, let's just get this book on the damn shelves, Josh. What are we doing here? (laughs) Okay. So I'm really pressing my patience button right now. And he says to me, "Um, I want you to send it out to five people and have the parents make an audio note of them reading the book to the kids. And just and then we're going to just listen to them, um, which I think is a great idea, despite the fact that I'm impatient. It's brilliant. Um, so I sent it out to a bunch of different people. And so far, I've received two back, which I would like to be receiving more a little faster. But anyhow, um, the first one, it was interesting because I actually, hearing somebody read it out loud who wasn't me, was I, mm. I felt like I wanted to cry because it made it real. And I loved Mm. that feeling. I had this feeling of magic Mm -hmm. in that. And I loved that. That was a really moving part about it, hearing this dad. And actually the mom said, I read it first and I couldn't read it out loud because I was so moved. She was like, I was crying. So I had to make my husband read it because I knew that I would make it through. Um, So, but hearing this dad read it to his little girl was quite... um, it was quite beautiful. And the best part about hearing other people read it is that you can see where they stumble. Because yes. I got it, I've, yes. I've had a couple now. So, in the lines that I think, oh, I like the way these words are like a little backwards, or, you know, when you, when you write something and you think, I'm going to just make it a bit different, those ones often weren't working because people were stumbling. It made it, it there was some awkwardness in my wording. Yes. Or in my syllables. So listening to that, I could go back into the book and make edits based on how they read it, which was really cool. Um, and the other thing that yeah, I that, noticed... That is so fascinating. It's almost like with a kid's book. And, and I don't think this is true of any other genre. You are a speech writer for the parent. Yeah. And so it's yeah, not that yeah. you're going to get up and give the speech because you might be able to handle certain syllables and it not sound clunky and it'd be very natural to you. You are putting words in the mouth of a parent to, to speak to their most important and kind of vulnerable relationship, which is with their kid. That, Mm -hmm. that is a really interesting thing that you, that you don't think of until you get a bit further down the road and you go, Oh, this isn't a song that I'm going to sing. This is a song I'm writing for someone else to sing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real. And you know what? I hadn't really thought about it until I heard them reading it. And I was like, oh, this is a different experience. And it's different than writing an adult book because they're just reading it silently, right? So it's a whole, yeah. And that, and that makes it different in how you write it, I think. That now I, I've realized now that I've heard them read it. Um couple other things I noticed is that this book is going to have to have a lot of pictures. I think that it's definitely a picture. There's going to be a lot of beautiful illustrations to go along with the words, which will be helpful. Um, I did provide them with one illustration to sort of uh, help help with the visualizing of it. Um, it's a very, it's not the kind of book that kids make a lot of comments during. So I ended up, because it's it's sort of a, it's a bit sad and and it's more of like something they might take in and not talk about in the moment until there's pictures. 
I think the pictures will open up the conversation during the story. But I ended up adding a bunch of um, questions for parents to ask kids after the book was over Mm. so that I could see um, how it impacted them and what they thought. Because I was like, I'm not getting what I want here. And and these are questions for the audio focus group, not Mm -hmm. necessarily, though not definitively not, the book itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We could yep. do that. That'd smart, be fun. Smart. I like I like both ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that having them, so now it's really nice because I'm getting actual feedback from the kids in real time. Like, what was this book about? Mm. How did it make you feel? Do you think this book would be helpful for kids who are sad because somebody died? Do you think? And having them answer, it's so sweet to hear them answer that. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to make sure that they got it. Because I didn't, it's very, like, it's not like grandma died and now, like, it never says that. It's not, it's not an, um, it's a story, but it's not, it's not totally obvious what's happening all the time. And I, but I, on purpose. Um, And so to make sure that kids really understand the concept of it, I think was really important for me to notice. And it has been really, really helpful. It's inspired new edits. And I'm excited to get more in. That's um, great. Yeah. The two the two you've received thus far, have those included the questions that you are now encouraging folks to ask their kids? Did yeah. any of those two include include those discussions? Yeah. The one of them did. One of them uh-huh. I had added it in. And yeah. the other one, she she added her own question at the end. Um, so they have a little bit of a conversation. Um, but now now they will all include the conversation. Because I think yeah. that that's that's kind of what is needed for this book. That that's a genius added layer, and and I will say for anyone who is going to steal this idea and, and feel free, mm-hmm. you know, our intentional strategy here was not to include pictures yet, you know, except for maybe one, so they can kind of know, yeah, you know, maybe what this grandma character looks like, what this girl character looks like, uh, so so that it's so that the feedback is just resting on the potency of the words at this mm-hmm. point. And then, yeah. you know, get the words right and then layer on the images, which is a whole mm-hmm. other art form and, you know, thing you want to mm-hmm. get right. And then that combination together should be an excellent one-two combo. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. It's good. It's good to make sure that those words are, what did you call it? A thick soup base? Oh, oh yeah. I, yes. I said, uh, <laughs> with a, with a kid, with, yeah, with a kid's book, you know, I, I mean... You know, I'm not a very verbose person, at least I don't think I am. And I think my first draft of a kid's book was like 2,000 words. Oh. But, you're, but you're trying to take that and, and reduce the sauce down reduce to it. just That's this thick, glorious, glorious. umami <laughs> glaze of a, of a butternut reduction sauce <laughs> that just spikes all the Yelp reviews in the fives. That's, that is the aim. Is it a cooking That's metaphor? Sick. Is that... It is, and death, it, cooking and death, uh, <laughs> a, a reduction sauce. That's a, that's the title of the book, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, work, cooking uh, yeah, and test, death. That's right. Or reduction sauce, which one? Both, maybe? That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let, let's talk about choosing who you choose to partner with wisely. Now, we're not going to name any names here, but I know, mm-hmm. you know there was a point where you said yes to working with a particular manager who wasn't, you know, the right fit that caused some chaos, some toxicity. You know, looking back, how do you think you 
got to a point where you said yes, how would you advise someone who's looking at management or agents or a co-author or a creative partner to think through carefully choosing that person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a great question because I wish that someone had told me this Mm. when I was 20 years old. Um, And that is, I think the number one thing to think about when you're you're deciding on business partners and managers and co-writers is, do I actually want to spend a lot of time with this person? Mm. Do I love them in a way, and I don't mean like, like, do I really resonate with who they are as a human? Do our hearts, like this is going to sound a little woo-woo, but like you need to you need to have matching heart intentions. You need to be in it for the same reasons. I can't work with someone who's in it because they want to, you know, cut everyone else down and rise to the top and get rich because just because they want to do that. Like I need to work with people who love children and want to make a difference in their lives. And um, they need to be people that I want, I could sit down and spend a weekend with at a cottage and not be like, we have to be on the same page. You don't want to work with people. And I don't think that means that you need to be best friends with everyone you work with, but it means that you have to be in alignment with who they are as a human and the second you get that sort of niggly feeling, that that feeling that's like, this person is not your person. And it can often be covered up by promises of what they can do for you and where they can take you and how much money they're going to make you and how successful you're going to be because that is what happens. I mean, this is life and that's what happens. People make all sorts of promises. Um, and I think that you have to tune into your own heart and really think do because in hindsight like i didn't want to spend <laughs> i could barely spend 20 minutes with that with this person <laughs> without without really thinking like what am i doing but i did it anyways because i wasn't listening to myself um, how long ago, how long ago was was this time period so this ended about 4 years ago mm Okay. Mm-hmm. But it was it went on for a couple of years. Like it was a good couple of years of my life. And looking back, did you have some spidey sense during your due diligence process, but maybe that got muted by some of the promises or some yes. of the you're overthinking this test, this mm-hmm. you know was yeah. it some of that? Oh yes. I had so many spidey senses. Like it was, it's insane to me that I said yes, to be honest. Because, but I really wasn't listening. And you have to also notice where you're coming from. So if you're at a point in your career where you're thinking, like, why hasn't this taken off more? Like, why is it going so slowly? Why am I not doing bigger shows? Why am I not succeeded? So when you have a voice in your head that thinks that you're not at the right place, yet, like you should be moving faster, which I think is a voice that a lot of people get when you're in this business. Like I want to be further ahead. So if you have a strong further ahead voice and then somebody comes in and tells you they're going to get you further ahead fast, Hmm. it can overcome your instincts, your heart, your Mm -hmm. actual knowing. That voice, because they're both so powerful, right? Those two voices. And I think that when we allow those voices to become our decision makers, we've got a problem. 
Uh, okay, two part question here. Uh, mm-hmm. Mathematical question. Okay. So, <laughs> so back in the day, mm-hmm. what was the percentage split you thought between the artist and the management was uh, the responsibility to make something successful? And and what do you believe that is now? Meaning, you know, back in the day, you thought it's like forty percent on me as the artist, and it's sixty percent. I've got to get this right manager that you know, only this kind of manager can open mm. up certain doors. And, and, and what is that split now of sort of the uh, sort of divvying up of responsibility, opportunity, doing the hard work mm. that you think is, is like, this is the appropriate healthy mindset to have about mm-hmm. an artist management relationship. Good question. I think when I first started, I had this idea that, a manager or somebody, you know, somebody who was coming in to help you with your career was going to be the answer. That they were more like a 60, 70, 60, you know, if you get meet the right person, they'll just take you up there and you'll you'll get farther faster. Um, the two Fs. And um, it was always sort of looking for that right person to to do that thing. And I mm-hmm. think this is a mindset that we can get into when we want something really badly is that Mm -hmm. someone outside of us is going to make that happen for us. And so you can spend so much time like looking for that person or attaching yourself to people and like holding on to them in the hopes that they're going to bring you to where you want to go. And now I think that I've, that has switched. Um, I can see that the way that I am and how I am in the world, like I'm, I'm either, I can be my biggest problem. Like if something isn't happening for me, it's most likely because I'm not, I'm the problem. I'm the resistance. I'm the, I'm getting in my own way. And nobody is going to, like no, no matter how amazing my manager or the people that I'm working with are, if I'm being my own worst enemy and getting in my own way, they can't do anything about it. Like they mm-hmm. are not responsible for getting me where I want to go. The only way I'll get where I want to go is if I get out of my own way and I continue to do the work and do it for the right reasons. And if if I have if I'm working with somebody who's also in that mindset, then we'll go everywhere that we want to go. Like there'll be nothing stopping us because it's it's a team thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's 50-50. I think that we're more, we're more responsible for our own careers. No matter who comes in, I'd say more like 20, you know, 20-80 probably. Yeah. Yep. Um, and working with the right people who feel like family, who feel like um, like it's a it's a real team. I love that idea of like we're we're in this together and we have the same motivations. We're doing mm-hmm. it for the same reasons. Really important. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that that sort of split that, that you defined. And that's, you know, that's why I think that's, that's probably the, the healthy sort of financial split as well is like, mm. you know, 75 is, is on the artist, the talent, the speaker, mm. uh, and 25 is, is on the management, the strategic mm-hmm. side of it. And yeah, it, it, to me as someone who's on that other side of it, I go, the goal for me is never just who can I talk into like mooching that 25%, but instead who do I think I could make their pie much bigger so Mm -hmm. that then when I take my 25%, 
their percent is still bigger than it would have been. Hmm. And yeah. I can remove some of the burden that, so they don't have to deal with it, not just so their life can be easier, though, yes, that's nice, but so they get more time to do the thing that only they can do, that the creative thing is the thing that drives everything. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like there's no point of a business strategy if you're not doing the hard work of having this writer's retreat and, and working on the book and getting it just so, because then when you get it mm-hmm. just so, now you're like arming me with a thing hmm. that then I can, now I can unleash mm-hmm. my creative gift, which yeah. is uh, like, you know, how, how can I get people all riled up to buy this? Thing? Yeah, 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 I love that. Which so, is so right, fun, so, though. Huh. So, so talk about this, and in, in no way is this like a self-interested question, though maybe it is, I can't psychoanalyze myself. <laughs> so, you, so, so you have this difficult relationship with a manager, mm-hmm. and then at some point you and I start talking about entering into a representation mm-hmm. uh, situation. How, how did your due diligence process change on like, who is this Josh guy? What is TYS? Is this a fit? Mm-hmm. Is this just, you know, another thing where it looks great in the beginning? Mm-hmm. How did your due diligence? Pro- and again, I'm trying to remove myself out of out of this question, but 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 yeah. mainly, like, how did that due diligence process change? Because yeah. um, you you had been burnt before, and in some ways, you know, made the wrong choice, which which allowed the burning. Totally. Um, well, first of all, I was like stalking you for a few years beforehand. Okay. So I, <laughs> yeah, I just I, mean sure. like I knew I knew what call, you Jesse. did. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that's how I, we first started too. So <laughs> it's the only way to get to know Josh, actually. Exactly. <laughs> Please don't encourage folks. <laughs> but I'd been on your mailing list. I'd look into mm. joining um, Speakers University. I um, I was on. Like I knew, I knew you as I had a vision of who you were in the world, and I liked it. Um, so that was that was number one. Is that I wasn't coming out of it. Uh, you have you have a good reputation in the business. My other person that I committed to already had a bad reputation. Like that was already known. I knew went into it knowing that. Um, and the second thing was that when I when we started talking. I had, and I, this is kind of how I do my life. I have, I, I get very strong feelings in my body of yes or no. Um, and I had, I was, when I listened to that video you sent, I was driving home from a gig and I wanted to cry out of excitement. Mm-hmm. Like I felt my whole, like everything in me was like, yes. And leading up to this in the past couple of years, I've had two or three people want to be business partners on the Big Heart Journey. And, um, and I, every time I judged it according to my body reaction, when we were getting closer, we were talking more, um, I would notice how I felt after I left a meeting. And if there was resistance, I had to look at it and say, is that me? Is that something I'm making up? Or is that actually a clash in our, in the way that we work and the way that we are in the world? And I said no to three different opportunities and, um, they were, like offering me money and and you know they were they were they were good people it wasn't that they weren't they weren't nice humans um but it was that i didn't get the feeling i didn't get the yes feeling and i got the yes feeling with you 
And there was nothing in me. Like when, and usually when I sign contracts, there's like 20% of my brain that's like, am I making a bad choice? Mm-hmm. Is this a bad choice? I have a, I have a very strong voice that's like, I don't know about this one. Like, like I can get panicky around that kind of decision because of, because of what happened. I never got that. I was like, I had a celebration after the signing of that contract. Mm. And my mm. whole, like everything about me was like, yes. And I think that once you can sort of get over your own things, like, am I getting in my own way? Am I not saying yes because I have something else going on in my brain? Like you have to really, you know, um, know yourself. And then, and then if it feels right, like really feels right in your body, then you can say yes. Hmm. And that's how, that's how I know things. Hmm. Um, it's like you're sensing alignment. Yeah. That's what it seems like. Yeah. You know, even totally. like, certainly in character, you're, you're vetting those things out, but it's, mm-hmm. it's also that sense of like, could we align in such a way that this would be, yeah. Yeah. Moving all these things forward. Exactly. And I think also one more thing would be like for people who are listening to do a little research into other people who are working with that person. So if you can yeah, yeah. if you can connect with another person who's who's in that business partnership better. So then you're getting another getting another opinion and I did that with a couple people as well and like that's all I needed. Mm-hmm. Really. That's great. Yeah. Well, uh, well, thanks for sharing that perspective. I hope it's helpful to those who they're at that point in their career where mm-hmm. you know that's that's something they should at least consider and think about. Uh, I appreciate the kind words embedded in your perspective, of course. And I'll say for me, my my objective has always been to first be absurdly selective about who I want to approach with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of like, I'm, I don't even want to have the conversation with them unless I'm 91% certain I think they could be a fit. Mm. And then I want to have a couple conversations. And then again, I'm I'm, I'm you're 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 leading with your heart. I'm over here. I got like a, a spreadsheet, a rubric. <laughs> I got Zapier running through it. Abacus. <laughs> yeah. That's why we work so well together. <laughs> uh, totally. Totally. Uh, and and then if it's like I can get to like a 95%, I like I genuinely think I could honest to goodness help this person, then, then at that point I go, I don't want to overpromise, but like, I'm going to pitch them. I'm going to try to genuinely, honestly, candidly, only at that point, make the case. Like, mm-hmm. here's what I would bring to the table. Here's what I would not. Here's what TYS is. Here's what it's not. Here's what we're great at. Here's what we're not yet great at. Here's what we never intend to be great at. Knowing yep. all that, you know, yeah. w- where are you at? Because it, as someone who started as a speaker, it's, you know, I, I can understand some of the, um, some of the personal conflict you, one can struggle with of like, it, it's, it's, it's not that I'm the answer. It's that there's some mystery person out there that's going to like make everything happen for me. That mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the over-promising, under-delivering. You know, I, I was trying mm-hmm. to come to it from a different perspective. So that that's kind of my side of that due mm-hmm. diligence um, and I, approach. Yeah, and I really liked when you, I like it when you say, this is what I'm not going to do. I'm like, great, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. great. That's so honest. Like it's yeah. so clear. I love 
clear relationships. And that's, that's like, I don't know. I think you said the word clarity in one of your emails. And I was like, we are going to work. Like, mm. I don't oh, like sure. anything muddled. I just got to no. be super clear. This is what you do. Yeah. This is what I do. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. And I think that's healthy for both sides of the relationship. Totally. Of yeah. this is what I'm awesome at. This is what I, I, I want to continue to press into. Mm-hmm. This, you know, I recognize is something like that's important to other people in the speaking world. It ain't for me. I don't want mm-hmm. it to be for me. It, it, yeah. it ain't ever going to be for me. And I, I just want you to know, like, yes, the, the good things about me, but also like, you know, the quirks and the baggage right up front. Let's just, let's just yeah. try to get all that stuff on the table. And then look at the, looking at the honest picture, is it, um, you know, is it still, is it still interesting? Yeah. I, I will say to folks out there looking at working with say bigger agencies, you know, a, a piece of advice I would give is like, talk to some of the talent that, not the ones that they offer to you, mm. but the ones that they don't offer to you. Because if you're running into a situation, you know, a literary agency, a talent agency, a speakers bureau, and there's a couple hundred folks in it, you know, I've had so many conversations around, well, they're going to they're gonna have you talk to like the person who's super duper happy because they are the top priority for that agency or for that bureau mm. versus go talk to someone who's like just getting started, doesn't yet have the juice, doesn't yet have the momentum mm-hmm. going, you know, are they still happy about entering into the partnership? Yeah, that's very smart. All right. Tess, yeah. here we go. Hour and a half. <laughs> Bam, you were very on time there. Hour and a half. I, I, think, I think folks who are particularly focused on, you know, PK to five, mm-hmm. this age group, yeah. Serving them, speaking to them, creating things for them, writing things for them. We'll get so much out of your um, perspective, your advice, and and your your heart for this age group. You know, I, I think I think earnestness is important with every age group, whether you're talking to forty seven year old educators or not. But I, but I think particularly with the younger kids, mm-hmm. there's such a responsibility on that person to say. Am I entering into this with pure intent? You know, of 100%. course, you want to build a business. Yeah. You want to be successful. You need the money to be able to, like, focus on it more for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's not be naive. But you know, those other age groups have have a few more scabs. They've been burnt, so they have a better kind of BS detector. They can know whether or not to let someone in with these young kids, like. If you get that platform, that stage, that screen, that responsibility, like it is a responsibility, not just something fun to do. Oh, yes. I could not agree with you more. I think that kids deserve the best in their most real everything. And they often don't get that. And so the more people who are giving that to them, the better. Well, you certainly are. We appreciate your time. Appreciate all you shared. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so You're much, the best. Josh and Jesse. Thank, Thank you. you. Great advice for creatives in general. Just awesome. Thank now you. get back to that Google Doc. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I want to see 200 uh, slides by the end of the day. Please. <laughs> I could do it, guys. Can, we, can we cut the book down to like eight words? That'd be best. <laughs> I, I've thought at some point, I would say like a bucket list goal for me. I, I want to do just like a 30-minute comedy set somewhere mm-hmm. where it's just slides. 
It's just <laughs> funniness <laughs> with slides. I think that could be really good. I, I, I think that's my trajectory. Okay. Yeah, I, I support it. Right. I can, I can give you some. All right, you, you manage that side of me. <laughs> <laughs> you handle that. <laughs> yeah, okay, Thanks perfect. so much, Tess. Yeah, Thanks, thank you, Jesse. Tess. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. Awesome. Thank you. So much. Thank you.